Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hello and welcome back. Welcome if this is your first time to the show. I am so grateful to be in your ears. That sounds really creepy. (laughs) It's true. I listen to a lot of podcasts and it's just one of my favorite, it's just one of my favorite feelings to have somebody's voice that I consider as a a friend or a mentor or, or whatever you might consider me as, um, in my ears. And I don't take the time that you're spending with me lightly. And the guest today is freaking awesome. You are going to love Julia Parzik from Fit Fat and all that. If you don't already follow her on Instagram, you are absolutely going to want to. And you'll see why once we dive into this conversation. Julia is amazing. She is one of the most well-rounded guests that we've had on the show in terms of just her who she is as a person. Yes, her expertise and and her influence that she has in her community, but she is so down to earth, uh, so optimistic and just keeps things really real and honest and, and truthful. And that's really reflected in her social media. Uh, she's one of the voices that is just loud and, and proud and doing a lot in, a sea of comparison and negativity on social media. So I'm just really grateful for the space that she has in that corner of the internet. Um, Before we dive in, I do want to share from the very beginning, we're talking about body image and eating disorders in this conversation. Just a trigger warning for anyone who is at a place where you're just not ready to hear details of eating disorders or sexual trauma, this is probably an episode that you will want to skip. Um, I want to be very mindful of that. And I also want to encourage you to check in and really just honor where you're at in your own body, body journey and relationship with food and from a healing place, from a nourishing, nurturing place, just really take a breath and check in and, and just make sure that you are in a space where you can take in details like this. Julia doesn't hold back. And I'm really, really grateful for her courage and her truth around her own story. But that being said, and I think she'll agree with me too. Uh, it's really important when you're in recovery, that you are mindful of information that could possibly trigger disordered behavior or just really, really intense emotions. And so we want to be mindful of that always. Um, That being said, although this is a very real, authentic story that Julia shares, she is so full of light and positivity and optimism and just brings so much knowledge to this conversation. I'm really stoked for you to get to know her. Let me tell you a little bit about Miss Julia. Julia is an eating disorder recovery coach and body acceptance influencer. She helps women find a healthy relationship with their bodies 
activities, food, and movement. Julia's mission is to help girls and women understand we are much more than our bodies and are capable of loving ourselves no matter our weight or size. She believes that you can live a life that is free from dieting, over-exercising, and obsessing over the number on a scale and create more space for meaningful experiences that will truly bring you happiness. Her goal is to end the negative self-talk, prevent eating disorders and body image issues, and help you learn to love your body and all that it can do. Your body is your home. Let's treat it with love and respect. Hell yeah. Love that bio so much. We talk about so many things in this conversation. As I mentioned, uh, Julia's personal body image story and her struggles with her eating disorder and recovery. We also talk about practical tools for navigating body changes, which I was so grateful that we got into that in this episode. We also discuss Julia's experiences of disordered eating and her biggest challenges during recovery and her advice for navigating new friendships and shifting into empowered and body accepting social circles. Super important. Can't wait for you to listen. We will link everything in the show notes, including all of the ways that you can get in touch with Julia, all of the ways that you can reach out to this community. Uh, If you haven't grabbed the free intuitive eating workshop yet, you will find that linked there as well as all of the other things that we talk about in this conversation. All right, my love, here is Julia Parzik. Have an awesome start to your week. Okay, Julia Parzik. Hi, welcome. Hi, happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here. And just like I was saying, I, I'm so excited to get to know your story. I have some information about you and the little that I've gathered, I've just been so impressed by and so curious about learning more. So very, very excited to jump in and get to know you even more. Yeah, I'm excited to have this chat too and kind of see where it organically goes. Definitely. Let's just jump in. And the first question that we ask everyone is your first body awareness moment. So if you don't mind, can you share what that looked like for yourself, that moment where you realized I'm in a body and this means something in the culture that I'm living in? What did that look like for you? How did that shape your relationship with food and or your body moving forward from there too? Yeah, I definitely think it was probably like a collection of moments um, just because I think, you know, as we get older, especially as like, you know, teenagers and stuff like that, we just start to become more aware of like our bodies changes and things like that. But I, I can really remember a pivotal moment. I was in sixth grade and I had recently changed schools. I am from Kalamazoo, Michigan, grew up in um, a pretty diverse city and my school that I went to from like kindergarten to fifth grade was pretty diverse. Um, and I ended up changing schools, um, just because it was a school that like filtered into the middle school that I needed to go to. And I remember like coming to school and at that point, like leading up to it, I didn't really care what I wore or like how I looked, I had a great group of friends, like we just played outside all the time and no one really talked about what they ate or their bodies or anything really like that. And I think that was just kind of the culture of the school that I was going to at the point um, or at that moment. 
And I had recently started taking some anti-anxiety medicine, and I think it probably caused a little bit of weight gain. Um, I was a super, super anxious kid and really uncomfortable. And um, I just remember my my body kind of just starting to look different. I was also starting to, you know, kind of go through puberty and, you know, your body starts to change. And I was friends with kind of the group of popular girls, I would say, at this sixth grade school or whatever. And I remember specifically when leggings started to become like a thing. And I mean, I remember wearing leggings as like a toddler, but like, you know, wearing leggings as like a teenager and stuff like that. And so I remember specifically being so excited to wear this like new pair of leggings probably got it from like Weathervane or limited to or something like that and one of my friends at the time told me I was too fat to wear them and I remember thinking huh like I was just I was so confused and hurt and I was just like wait I, I didn't even question that I wasn't able to wear what I wanted to wear. Like it was never a thought in my head. And ever since then, I think I just started to become more aware of people's bodies around me, how my body looked compared to my friends, compared to my sister, compared to, to everyone else and how it looked different. And I think from then on, I mean, I, I struggled with an eating disorder for 10 plus years. I think from then on, it just kind of snowballed um, into a full-blown eating disorder, but it definitely started with someone kind of saying something about my body and, and bringing awareness that my body was something that people could comment on. And I think from then on, it just, it, it became an issue for me. Mm. God, and sixth grade too. It's, oh yeah. So <laughs> so tiny you're, you're just I know it makes me so sad for like my 12 year old self yeah and you know unfortunately this is obviously your unique story and at the same time the story is not that unique because oh so common comments <laughs> like this are so common I mean my first body awareness comment was, comment was in sixth grade too or just before sixth grade and yeah you know, we ask this question to everybody who comes on the show and I would say most of the time, the first awareness moment is around the 10 to 12 year mark, if not before. Which, then. Is, so. which is such a pivotal, like you're just starting to like figure out who you are. Like those are yes. such pivotal moments, you know, yes. like they make such an impact. And so, yeah, I, I, it started pretty young for me. So how did you internalize that? information going forward. I know that you mentioned you struggled with an eating disorder. Did, did you just launch fully into your eating disorder? Did it kind of come by way of a diet that you started? How did that manifest in your life? Yeah. So I, growing up, my, my parents were so loving and accepting and never put any pressure on me needing to look a certain way. And kind of as I've, I've gone through therapy and all this stuff too, um, I realized that, you know, my parents' own perceptions of themselves had a huge impact on my own body image. And my mother struggled with an eating disorder. There are other women in my family that struggled with an eating disorder. And um, eating disorders are really interesting and complex because they are a psychosocial disorder. And so they can also be genetic. And so I think I was just kind of predispositioned to 
have a struggle with that. And so it wasn't until about eighth grade that, or eight or eight or ninth grade that I started to kind of change what I was putting into my body and like feeling the need to change how I, how I looked. I I think I started to become really insecure in my body and feel really uncomfortable and cover myself up and, you know, you're reading 17 magazine and you're seeing that like the plus size bodies or the curvy models are like put in like, you know, tankinis or one pieces and the skinny girls going to be in the bikinis. And, you know, it's like dressing for your body type. And I remember just thinking like, fuck, I guess I'm supposed to like cover up, you know, like, you know, this is the messaging I got. And in ninth grade, I, I started my period pretty late. I wasn't till I was like in eighth grade. And so I had, you know, kind of that puberty weight gain where you're, you know, you're starting to get boobs and all these things, you're becoming a woman. And I, you know, put on a little bit of weight as a freshman and there was a boy used to like bully me about my weight. And it was actually one of my friend's boyfriends. And he used to call me like fat ass and lard ass and all of these things. And I remember just thinking like, oh my God, this is one of the popular guys that like I wanted to be you know, accepted by, and he was older and I I got called potential because I had potential to look like my older sister, who's like blonde hair, blue eyed and like 5'11". So like never going to be that I'm 5'4 and like a size 12, like very short and curvy. And so I remember just thinking like, okay, for me to be accepted, for me to be popular, for me to be loved and liked and all these things, like I need to fit the mold that I keep seeing. And that's like, you know, these Ashley Olsen and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera body types. And so I started restricting what I was eating, you know, things at, at that time, it was like the special K diet and like, you know, eating like a hundred calorie bar for breakfast and like, you know, doing these things. And at the same time, my mom was, you know, on Weight Watchers. And so I just thought that that was what you did. you just dieted or the only way I knew how to lose weight was to restrict what I was eating. So I was eating like 800 calories a day as like a growing teenage girl that was playing on sports teams and wondering why I'm feeling like so dizzy and, you know, tired all the time and irritable. And, um, lo and behold, I lost, um, a pretty significant amount of weight over like the couple years of doing that. Um, I also struggled with bulimia. And so, because of my restriction, I found myself binging a lot. And then in turn, I would feel social and I'd end up purging and using laxatives and diuretics and all these things. I think I even bought like hydroxy cut from like Walgreens, like definitely shouldn't have been sold that at the age of like 15. Um, and then I started to get a lot of attention because I was thinner. And so it validated, okay, for me to get attention, for me to be liked, I need to be thinner. And I, I, I I did. I got all of the attention that I'd hoped for. So I was like, oh, this is what I need to do to like be loved. Mm. Yeah. That reinforcement, it's so debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was honestly a little terrifying because I was just like, oh my God, how am I going to keep this up? Mm. Yeah. What was going through your mind at that time? I mean, how did you think you were going to be able to keep it up and what was what was like the story in your mind back then? Yeah. So I was really good at hiding it. Um, my eating disorder went unnoticed for like 10 years. My 
mom and dad actually didn't know I had an eating disorder until I was 24. Um, and I like wrote a blog post about it. And, um, I think for me, I mean, eating disorders thrive in isolation. And for me at the time, my eating disorder became actually this like safe haven and place of comfort. Um, and as fucked up as that sounds, and I'm an eating disorder recovery coach. So I, I, when my clients are telling me these things that they're like, this is kind of disturbing that I'm saying this. I'm like, no, this is actually really normal that you're thinking these things when your brain is not functioning properly. And so for me, I felt that so much of my life was out of control. Um, I felt like I couldn't control of me around me. Like I wasn't smart enough. I felt inadequate. I felt like I could never measure up to like how beautiful my sister was, all of these things. And so I was like, okay, what can I control? I can control what I eat and I can control what my body looks like. And as long as I'm pretty and as long as I'm thin, then everything's going to be okay. And so anytime I felt anxious, inadequate, stressed, whatever, I would resort to either binging, restricting, compulsive exercise. It was kind of my way of coping, obviously in a very unhealthy way. But for me, it was, it was kind of like little secret best friend because I felt so alone. Um, and now that I'm recovered, I have so much gratitude towards like my younger self for thinking, uh, and, and actually surviving in those moments of doing the best with what I had. And I'm, I've also suffered from like sexual trauma and all of these things. So um, for me, it was just kind of a protective mechanism. And so now I definitely have a lot more compassion for myself than being like, oh my God, you're so stupid <laughs> for doing these things. Like, I, I think I honestly, at 14, I was doing what I thought was going to be best for me. Mm-hmm. God, I so resonate to so many of the things that you're sharing. And one of the things that I I keep going back to in my mind is the comparison that you're having with your sister that you've mm-hmm. heard so far. So did she have an idea that anything was going on? Did she have any any concept that you were comparing yourself to her and what was your relationship like with her at that time? Yeah. Julia, was it just you and your sister or were there other siblings? Yeah. Just me and my sister. Yeah. Yeah. And as, I mean, I, I know from my own recovery and also like client experience as well too. It's really sneaky with, with other siblings, particularly sisters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my sister actually struggled with like her own stuff. And so I think, I don't think she really knew because she was also struggling herself with things like that. And so she, both her and I dealt with it in very different ways. You know, I was always the funny, outgoing, confident sister and I hid a lot behind my humor. So I don't really think anybody really knew. And to be honest, my mom and I definitely like bonded in my like young adult years with body image stuff. Cause we have very similar body types in a sense that we're both like curvier women. And I ended up doing like weight watchers with my mom, like later on in my life. And, um, we kind of bonded over, you know, like talking about being uncomfortable in our bodies and stuff like that, which I think a lot of women just do in general anyways. Um, but I think, I, I don't 
think there was just an awareness that it was really an issue and no one definitely knew about the bulimia. Like that was definitely something that I think when that came out, my family was like, what? Like, how were you hiding that? You know? And so, yeah, I think it was kind of a shock to everyone that, that that was going on. Yeah. It was for me as well too. I, I struggled with bulimia on and off for, over 15 years and when mm-hmm. yeah when it came out it was like this massive secret was revealed I'm curious what was your what was your let's just call it like a coming out moment with your eating disorder did you have like an intervention did you sit everybody down was it kind of on a whim how how did you get to that place where you, your family um found out yeah yeah so at the time I, so I was 24 and I was a second grade teacher in Detroit at the time. And I, I was teaching class and I remember talking to my students about, um, you know, what are some goals that you want for this year? And I remember one of my seven-year-old students was like, I want abs and I want to be skinny. And I was like, what the hell? Like <laughs> what second grader <laughs> wishes wow. for those things. And I remember just thinking like, holy shit this is going to be my daughter. If I don't, if I don't get my body image like under control. And I, at that time I had ended up ending a relationship of four years, quitting my teaching job, moving out to LA kind of on a whim. And obviously that caused a lot of anxiety, you know, like moving can be just super stressful. And, you know, I ended up, you know, not having the same gym routine and all these things. I ended up gaining weight and I was a nanny at the time And I was doing like the 21 day fix. I was like a beach body coach. And I thought I was like being really healthy and all these things. And I remember calling my mom because I was just so overwhelmed at the fact that I like couldn't stick with my meal plan. I was like, you know, having like eight almonds as a snack, which like who the hell has eight almonds as a snack. And so I just remember being like so overwhelmed with hating my body, feeling so dissatisfied, like I'm trying to like raise this child. I'm in LA. I'm confused. I'm young. Like I was like, I need like a therapist. And I didn't really like, I, I, my mom knew I had body image issues, but I didn't really seek out eating disorder therapy. When I was searching for a therapist, I was searching like body image and eating disorders and stuff like that and anxiety. But when I filled out the form, you know, like your intake form, I remember thinking like, oh, I don't really have an eating disorder anymore. It's just like body image. And I remember in the first or second session with my therapist and she's still my therapist to this day. And I love her so much. And I remember her saying like, no, Julia, you're definitely still struggling with your eating disorder. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't, I didn't realize that like obsessively counting my calories and clean eating and all of these things were actually like huge signs of disordered eating. Mm -hmm. And like my eating disorder just kind of like morphed into something else. And I actually wrote a blog post at the time I had a blog and my mom read it and called me and she was like, what? And I remember having a conversation being like, yeah, I, I've been struggling for (laughs) 10 years. And it was kind of this, like, what the hell? Oh my God, we're so sorry. We didn't notice. And I think just after that, we just, I I started seeing a registered dietitian and my therapist, and I just kind of did my own outpatient kind of 
treatment on my own and just had conversations with my family like over time. But yeah, it was just kind of this like sporadic, like, hey, read this blog post. I'm sharing like something really traumatic of the last 10 years. It was, it was probably not the best way to share it with them. But um, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Wow. Was your blog a recovery blog or was it like a clean eating blog? What was the general context? So it was called Fit Fat and All That. And it was, it originally started um, as me sharing like my beach body cleanses and all these things. And then immediately after going like and working through recovery, I was like, holy shit, this blog is like so unhelpful. And like, it's just not the information that I want to be putting out there. But like, I, I truthfully thought that like me sharing like, oh, I'm going to the gym and this is my routine and this is the clean eating that I'm doing or whatever it was. Like truly, I, I thought that that was empowering. And after that, I ended up like switching my Instagram name to Fit Fat and all that and kind of switching my entire message. And that's kind of how I gained a following is I, I shared kind of my recovery process via Instagram, which was actually super healing for me. Mm. Yeah. I, what do you feel like was the most healing part of that for you? And on Instagram? Yeah. I think it was honestly the accountability. Um, I I couldn't hide anymore. I couldn't tell people that I was doing something or feeling something and then secretly be doing things behind people's backs, you know, like I, I felt like I owed it to myself and to whoever was watching at the time, um, that I had to be truthful because for me, when I was in my eating disorder, I was really, really dishonest with myself and others. And that was something I really didn't like about myself. And so I was like, I really got to be honest and I have to hold myself accountable in doing so. And I felt that sharing on social media, for, for me, it was almost like I was trying to heal this like younger part of myself of like, I wish what I was writing about, I saw, mm-hmm. like, I wish I would have seen that it's okay to feel these things, that it's okay to struggle. Um, and I was almost like writing, you know, kind of to my younger self that like, Hey girl, it's okay. Like this is actually way more common than you think. Yeah. Were you doing any inner child work with your therapist at the time? <laughs> Yeah, we definitely did a lot of that. And I actually just started equine therapy recently last week. And we have definitely dove into a lot of inner child stuff. And I've always just loved inner child's work. Um, And I think for me, I mean, that's kind of when a lot of my body image stuff started. So I think that was super powerful was to, and I do this a lot with my clients of like, talking to yourself like you would a little kid or your younger self like how can you be kind and compassionate like you may say these awful mean things about yourself would you ever say that to a little kid and that really helps with me being more kind and compassionate for myself through that whole recovery process I love that I also love and I know that this is going to look different for everybody who's listening but what you mentioned before the statement of eating disorders thrive in isolation, which is 100% true. And you being bold enough to go way beyond that and just show up so vulnerably and share your recovery process so that you just take the isolation out of the equation almost completely. It sounds like. 
yeah, like it kind of gave me no option. Right. Like it's kind of like, this is forcing me to, to do the work that like I so badly need to do. Yeah. What was your motivation with that? Because I imagine it was incredibly challenging through, you know, through a lot of times. But I also remember you saying that the entry point to making a change was just that realization that you didn't want your future kids to grow up with these thoughts. So is that the same motivation that you held on to, or do you feel like it shifted during the really hard times? I think, I think initially, initially, because I, I nannied for a long time. I was a teacher. Like I, I love kids so much. And I just saw so many kids being affected by, you know, body image and eating disorders and all these things. And I saw it being affected by so many women in my family that I was like, this is such a generational thing. Like Mm -hmm. this is generational trauma. Like the only way that like we can end this is like some healing has to be done. And I think for me, I was just so uncomfortable. I was just so tired at that point because I was never like emaciated or super thin. Um, I, I just, I got to, you know, my goal weights over and over. And I was like, damn, I'm still really unhappy. And I was like, okay, it's clearly not my body. This is like a brain thing, not a body thing. And I think I just, I wanted, you know, I saw people in my family, like in their, you know, late adult years struggling with body image. And I'm like, I don't, want that for myself. I don't want to be 50 or 60 struggling with my body image. Like that doesn't sound (laughs) enjoyable. And I think for me, I I just, I just wanted a better brain. I was just like, so sick of dealing with my own shit. Mm -hmm. I feel that so much. I also have so many other questions about your recovery story that I want to put a pin in and go back to. There's just a few other things that I'd love to revisit from yeah, what you just shared previously. So you mentioned sexual trauma and this, this is, as you know, and many guests have shared, this is common, um, common correlation with eating disorders. So without going into too much detail or as, as much as you're comfortable with, was, was this something that was earlier on in your life that kind of, moved the eating disorder along? Did it kind of come at a different part of your life that facilitated um, the eating disorder in a different way? What, how did that play a role in correlation with your eating disorder? Yeah. And it actually wasn't until like later in life that I realized the correlation between the like sexual trauma with, with my body image issues. I, so around the age of 16 or 17, I ended up um, being in a really shitty situation with a guy that made me get completely undressed and did all these things to me. His parents were at home. He was a senior in high school, was older than me. Um, and I felt so powerless in that moment that I, I, I felt like I couldn't speak up. It was a very weird situation. He was fully clothed and I just kind of sat there. And I remember thinking like, how the hell did I let that happen? And didn't tell anyone about it until probably 10 years later. And actually I was on a bike ride with my boyfriend when we were back home, not that long ago. And 
actually rode past this guy's house and I had the most interesting experience. I like broke down in tears and I didn't realize what was happening. And then it, I, I realized like that was the house that that happened at. And it was super interesting. And from then on, I, you know, started drinking and smoking weed and like hanging out with like not the right crowd of people. And, um, in college I ended up being raped and, um, I was like left on the floor with my pants down at, in a dorm room. And I was, it was a guy that one of my friends, um, really liked and I was made out to be like a whore and I was made out to be that it was like my problem. And I can't believe that Julia would do such a thing to her friend. And I, I almost ended up dropping out of Michigan state my freshman year because of it because I was being bullied about being, being raped by a guy that was drunk and took advantage of me. And I was completely blacked out, did not remember. There were definitely some other instances in college where I'd woken up to people doing things to me that they shouldn't have been doing things to me. And I think for so long, I felt like I, my body was the only thing that was important about me. And I was putting myself in situations with men that didn't respect me for me, but it was almost like it was validating. It was almost like, Oh, well, as long as they sexually want me, then like I'm, I'm worthy. And it did. It, it, honestly, it took a long time for me to realize that I was raped and I was taken advantage of and all of these things, because for so long I was like, Oh, well, I'm, I was drinking and I was insecure and I probably wanted that attention. Um, and I, I think ever since, those kind of situations that happened to me, I, I really struggled with self-worth in relationships and with men. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until like my boyfriend of a year and a half now that like, I've truly found like a super healthy, supportive and loving relationship and really healed a lot of that trauma that I have with like men and, and sex. So yeah, I definitely think it played a huge role in my eating disorder and my body image. Yeah. The worthiness piece of, of this and also just what you, what you shared. And I so resonate with this too, but kind of just passing off the moment as, Oh, well, I probably just wanted attention and I was drunk. And so invalidating your own experience just Mm -hmm. by, by nature of what you felt like the environment was kind of facilitating in a, in a really, skewed way. It sounds like I can Mm -hmm. definitely relate to that. Why do you think you, why do you think you didn't tell anybody the first time that it happened, especially in high school? Did you Mm -hmm. have a group Mm -hmm. of friends? I'm just kind of trying to put myself in your shoes and I don't know if I would have told anybody either, but I'm, I'm more curious from you. Like, was there a best friend that you had? Was there anybody in your life that you were kind of playing around with telling or what was the what was the story at that yeah. point for yourself? I think at that point, I I definitely didn't tell my parents because I didn't tell them that them I was going over there. Um, it was he was an older boy. I lied to my parents that I was going somewhere that I wasn't, and so I kind of felt like, well, this is on me. This is my fault. You know, mm-hmm. like I put myself in this situation. Um, and honestly, I think at that point, a lot of my friends and I really hadn't done too many sexual experiences. I didn't lose my virginity until 
I was with a, my, my first serious boyfriend when I was like almost 18. And, um, I, I think at that point I just felt so much embarrassment. I was like, so shameful about like being in that situation. And like, I was like, did, is this how all sexual things go? Like, I mean, he was fully clothed and he was just watching TV while doing all these things to me and really wasn't talking to me. And I just like sat there and it, I honestly, I think I was just really confused as to what actually happened that like, I didn't really know what to say to anyone at that point. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of self-blame from this part of your story. Too, yeah. Where it's just, you know, put you feeling like you put yourself in that situation and it's not this other person's fault at all. It's entirely your fault and the, the shame and, yeah. the and the self-blame. I totally, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and also from an eating dis- disorder standpoint and just the worthiness piece with your body and the control piece with your body, that makes a lot of sense as well too. Yeah. I think I honestly was just like, Oh, well, this is my fault. And then, you know, I was like, Oh, I'll deal with it by losing more weight or restricting mm. more binge. You know, like I was like, I think in my head, I was like, I, I'll, I'll figure this out myself, you know? And I was like, it's, and I, my parents never gave this inclination that I would ever get in trouble about those things. But, you know, as a 16 year old, your brain's not fully <laughs> developed. You're, totally. you, don't make, you don't make the most rational choices. And I'm thinking I wasn't supposed to be there. I don't want to be in trouble, you know? Yeah. Well, when you just mentioned, I'll figure this out myself, what, what were you thinking you had to figure out? Do you remember? I know it was kind of a while ago. I, I think it was more so just like, I think I'll, I'll just, I'll figure it out in a sense mentally. Like if I'm uncomfortable, I'll deal with it. And I think I just, stuck, I, I just stuffed it down for so long. And then weirdly enough, I'm riding my bike with my boyfriend and I pass this house and it's got this weird vibe and all just a dark eerie thing. And I just break down crying. And my boyfriend's like, what is going on? I'm like, I'm just realizing that like, I've never really (laughs) talked about what happened in that house because like for so long, I just, I, I, I think I compartmentalized it and like dissociated from that moment. (sighs) totally it makes a lot of sense and just stuffing down those big emotions yeah big confusing uncomfortable emotions um you know and kind of going back to what you're saying before too I know a lot of people will hear this and and feel really hurt and a lot of people might hear this and feel really triggered but this is a really great example of your eating disorder protecting you in a way and really 100% in a really I mean, it seems like a crazy way, but, you know, we're doing the best we can in those moments. You didn't know any different. And it's the only way that you knew to, to keep safe. It sounds like. Yeah. I think it was my like little protective way of coping and zoning out and being like, okay, that was really traumatizing. I'm going to focus on something else. Like my, I felt like at that moment, my brain couldn't even comprehend what had happened. So like my brain was like, okay, let's protect you and let's focus on, on your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I, I really appreciate you saying all that. And I, I want to weave back in. I do this a lot with stories. I want to mm-hmm. weave back in to this. So we'll put a pin here and go back to something else that you mentioned at the beginning, which was your anxiety that you were experiencing as a child and the medication that you were on. And is that something that you struggled with throughout your life or was just, was that just the, uh, early childhood part of your life? Yeah, I, I really, really, really struggled with separation anxiety for my parents. Um, my mom also struggles with anxiety. We have a lot of mental illness on my mom's side of the family. And I think from a very young age, my mom knew that I was anxious. I was just, I I also struggle with ADHD. And so I was just very hyper aware of people around me, things around me, um, people's emotions. Um, I, anytime my mom left for work in the morning, I would cry. I felt like I, you know, my parents were going to die. Like I just had really bad anxiety. And so my mom was like, Oh my gosh, our poor daughter, we got, we got to help her. And I, I would say my anxiety over the years has kind of ebbed and flowed with, you know, the seasons of life. And obviously now that I'm recovered from my eating disorder, my anxiety, um, is, is, better. Um, in this past year, I ended up going back on medicine just because COVID and the pandemic, I think kind of, kind of threw, um, kind of threw me off. Um, totally. but yeah, I definitely still struggle with anxiety. It's something that I think I'll forever struggle with, you know, as a mental illness, but it's definitely something that I feel like I have such great coping skills. Now I have a support team. I, you know, I'm not afraid to talk about how I'm feeling. I use medication when I need to, but yeah, I, I mean, it was completely debilitating as, as a kid for sure. That's it's so interesting too, to hear you say that you struggled with ADHD and, you know, with eating disorders and mental illness, this is also a correlation as well too. And super common to have mm-hmm. ADHD and, uh, one form of an eating disorder as well too. And, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting, like just hearing this in your story, because again, going back to you trying to stay safe, you trying to navigate your life in a way that kept you feeling safe, that kept you feeling in control when everything else felt out of control with the situations that you're experiencing environmentally, um, from a mental health perspective, all of these, all of these other elements that were at play in your life. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think because as a kid, I was like, I don't really know what to do with these big emotions. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I think I was just so overwhelmed. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, now I'm the eating disorder is the more uncomfortable thing. Now it's time to deal with the big emotions. Yeah, it's you can channel all of that energy and discomfort into one single compartmentalized thing and wrap it up in a tidy little bow, except it's completely um, it, it, catastrophic for- Right, right. It doesn't, it doesn't work forever. <laughs> it, it, doesn't doesn't, it doesn't bring you comfort for forever and- um, yeah, for a while, it made me feel like I was in control. And lo and behold, it was actually like ruining my body and my mental health. But I, you know, at that point, I was like, oh, this is bringing me a sense of comfort. And mm-hmm. yeah, and then it got to a point where I was like, okay, this isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's talk about recovery for you. And I know we started to go into this part of your story, but what 
in hindsight now, what are some of the biggest challenges that you feel like you hit at the beginning stages of your recovery process? And I know that you coach your own clients through this this now. Mm -hmm. So for you, what did that look like? And then we can open it up to just more generally speaking. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing was letting go. Um, Letting go of the control. I was so afraid of feeling out of control if I let go of the diets, if I let go of the tracking. And I was so afraid that I would, I, I had so much internalized fat phobia that I was just like, oh my God, what if I wake up one day and I'm huge and nobody loves me? Mm. And for me, I was just so afraid of my body changing um, and really just kind of allowing that to happen was absolutely terrifying. Um, I, I just remember being like so pissed at my team and my dietitian and therapist and being like, I, I hate this. Like I was so mad at them for like allowing me to eat the things that I wanted to be eating. And to like, like I, I felt so lost because for so long I was following a diet plan or following rules. And I, I wanted, I wanted guidelines. I, I like wanted a list of things of like, follow these things and it'll all be okay. And that's just not how it works. Um, that's not how intuitive eating is. That's not how recovery is. It was really all over the place. And I think it was just really uncomfortable for me to just hope for the best and know that like, there's a method (laughs) to the madness of Mm. kind of letting go. And I mean, in turn, I gained so much more. Yeah. I gained weight and my body changed, but I also like gained so much freedom and happiness and much better relationships in my life. And yeah, I mean, it was 100% worth it. But at the time I was like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you remember some of the tools that you used in the beginning of recovery? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it was a lot of rewiring the way I thought about things um, in terms of food and my body Um, I did a lot of work with, um, just self-dialogue. So kind of breaking apart, like, okay, this is my eating disorder self. I also have a healthy self. How Mm. can I have a conversation between the two? Um, when I'm feeling triggered, when my eating disorder voice comes up, how can I show compassion to myself in those moments and question it instead of giving in to those behaviors? Um, say for instance, I see a photo of myself and I really don't like the way I look. Um, instead of deciding to restrict for the rest of the day or, you know, go for a run or whatever, it's like, okay, I'm going to actually sit in the discomfort of not liking the way I look and tap into like, okay, what emotions am I actually feeling right now? What's some self-care that I can do that's going to help soothe me and know that these feelings are going to pass. Mm -hmm. I truly just felt like I was going to be stuck in that discomfort for forever. Um, And I just didn't have the tools before that. And so I think really just finding that kind, compassionate voice within myself and really being able to sit in the discomfort and kind of dialogue out what I was thinking and using my own voice as, okay, how would I respond to a loved one? How would I respond to a kid? How would I respond to a student or one of my nanny kids if they said these things? Like, I need to say that to myself because I never, I I was so critical of myself. I never said kind things to myself. And so I think for me, it was a lot of just 
rewiring the way I, I spoke to myself and how, how those conversations went. Yeah. Which I love that tool that you're sharing. I think it's so powerful. And from, you know, a, an eating disorder brain, there is that wise mind and then the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. mind too. And so it really is, it can almost feel like a split personality sometimes. Oh yeah. I was like, Oh my God, I'm crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. It's all truly crazy sometimes. Yeah, totally. Um, how do you feel like you moved through that and moving, I mean, moving through that and then hitting like the next level of discomfort, because I think that it's so multi-layered, especially as you start to really become comfortable with the discomfort and having those conversations regularly, there's always that next level of, oh shit, like I didn't even anticipate this. I thought all the hard work was done. So what did that next chapter look like for you? Yeah, I think for me, it was, I I had a really hard time speaking up for myself. Like for me, I really realized that a lot of my eating disorder um, was linked to, you know, issues with, with men and sexual trauma and all that, all that stuff. And I, at the time I was single in LA going through eating disorder recovery. And it wasn't until I started dating again that like, everything else kind of bubbled up to the surface. And I was like, God damn it. Like I've done so much work with like my body image and allowing myself to eat. And now that there's like a man that could possibly reject me, this voice is coming back a lot louder. So I had to do a lot of, um, like core value work, a lot Mm. of, um, self-worth on myself, really kind of seeing myself outside of my body. I still really, really focused heavily on how my body looked and I put too much pressure on that. And so for me, I think the body image was honestly the hardest was the hardest part for me. And is definitely something that still comes up, um, every now and again, because, you know, we're human and we live in a society that focuses so much on, on bodies. But I think for me, it was really, okay, how am I going to show up for myself in relationships with other people and advocate and speak up and choose people that choose me because they love me or they like me, not because of how I look. And that, that was honestly really hard because I lived in LA, you know, a place where it's like a Mecca body (laughs) And it's a place where everybody's trying to look a certain way. And it was honestly really, really challenging to like go out with my friends who are all teeny tiny and seeing people that are not my body type. And I think just continuously speaking up about that discomfort with my team, with my therapist, um, I, I think the most healing thing for me was just talking about it. Like I, I just kept everything so internal that I legitimately drove myself like crazy. And, um, I think for me, it was just talking about when I felt insecure because I felt so shameful about my insecurities. And then I realized, oh, this is actually something that a lot of women struggle with. And then I started surrounding myself with people that, um, I, um, were kind of in this body acceptance space. And that was honestly so healing for me. How did you get plugged into that initially? 
Yeah, I, I was following some accounts out, out in LA and I ended up going to an event. Um, I forget what it was called. It was just kind of this like body acceptance event. And I remember um, being around these like plus size models and I was like, holy crap, like I love this. I love mm. seeing women that are in larger bodies that are comfortable and confident and have healthy, happy relationships. And I started to really realize, okay, I can have all of the things that I always thought I was going to get when I was thin. I can have them with the body that I have right now or what it's going to be in the future. I don't have like, just because you're thin doesn't mean you automatically get those things. If anything, for me, I was completely miserable. So I think surrounding myself with people that didn't talk about their bodies, that didn't talk about good or bad food, that, Mm. you know, enjoyed life honestly was so healing. I just really started to surround myself with people that I wanted to be like, and I wanted to feel like, and still to this day, the friends that I surround myself with we never talk poorly about our bodies and I'm so triggered, not, not triggered in a way that it's going to send me back to my eating disorder. But I'm like, anytime I spend time with people that are talking about that stuff, I'm like, Oh God, no wonder I felt so shitty about myself in those friendships or those relationships. Like this is all we fucking talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really sucks you in and it, Oh yeah. It becomes so normal. And to your point, it starts to kind of like create, those crazy type of thoughts, or at least making you feel like you're crazy. Like, Oh my gosh, like, am I doing something wrong? Should I be feeling this way? Should I be thinking this way in that recovery process where it's kind of like one foot in one foot out. So I, I totally understand that. So it sounds like you probably had a breakup with some friends then. Yeah. I mean, I think over the last probably, I don't know, eight or so years, I've definitely just it's kind of a non-negotiable for my friendships. It's not necessarily a conversation that I have a sit down (laughs) with people like, you know, interviewing them or anything like that, but it's definitely, I just don't surround myself with those type of people and the people that were in my life that are like that. Yeah. They're, they're no longer my friends because I don't want to spend time with people that only value me when I'm thin, you know? And so, um, I think it was harder for men Um, Like when I was, you know, if I was rejected, it was really hard for me not to assume that I was being rejected for my body. Um, Rejection was definitely something that was really triggering for me in recovery. Mm -hmm. So how did you cope with that? Because I I get that all or nothing black and white thing Mm -hmm. around. He loves me and he loves my body or he's rejecting me and he's rejecting my body. So what was the shade of gray that you were comfortable kind of sitting in with that? Yeah. I think just with like my therapist kind of acknowledging, like I'm mind reading here, you know, I'm Mm. assuming the worst and I'm assuming based out of my own experiences and I'm assuming based out of my eating disorder brain rationally, what, what could I be thinking that would be more helpful. So obviously your eating disorder brain is like completely irrational, kind of all over the place, a lot of black and white thinking, a lot of cognitive distortions. And so for me, it was like, okay, how can I look at this situation? Well, yes, rejection is always uncomfortable, but it's inevitable. Um, It's just going to happen if you're dating. And for me, I was like, okay, how can I maybe view this as, more so redirection and 
a learning experience of me learning about what I like and don't like in relationships or with men um, and kind of use this as a way for me to become really confident on my own and know that if I am rejected, it has nothing to do with me as a, a person. It has nothing to do with me and my self-worth. Um, it's, I, I kind of just had to practice some acceptance that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, especially in the day and age with dating now with like the apps and everything like that, like it was just bound to happen. And I, I think for me, looking back on it now, it, it kind of, brought up a lot of triggering moments for me. However, it allowed me, it gave me an opportunity to heal in those moments though. Mm -hmm. You know, like it really sucked and was uncomfortable, but it was actually like a great opportunity for me to use the things I learned in therapy and apply it to those situations. Yeah, totally. Did you have that? I'm sure it was a lesser degree, but did you, did you have that, um, fear around rejection before you started your recovery with relationships at all? Yeah, I was definitely someone that had a lot of anxious attachment in relationships. Um, I definitely struggled with body image and, you know, the idea of being abandoned and being left for someone that was prettier, skinnier, smarter, whatever it was. And Um, that's definitely something that I've worked on a lot in my current relationship. Just like I said earlier, our relationship has allowed me to kind of heal a lot of the things that, um, I haven't been able to heal in terms of, of a relationship because for up until I met my current boyfriend, Carl, um, I, I was pretty much single for six years, um, which honestly was really good. I mean, I had like, you know, situationships and kind of random things here and there, but Carl, I, I'm so glad I met him when I did, because I feel like I've done such great work on myself as as well as him that like, we are both in a space to be able to kind of heal anything we may have had in past relationships together. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful. And I'm so happy for the both of you. It sounds like a really amazing relationship. Yeah, he's wonderful. Mm. Um, So one other question that I I definitely want to make sure we cover is your body changing through recovery. And Mm -hmm. you already touched on the discomfort with with this. And how did you navigate that for anybody who's listening, who, whose body is just changing in general. And, you know, this can look like somebody who's in recovery. This can look like somebody whose body is just going through a change phase like bodies do, because we are in bodies that change every single day. But in your own experience, um, what did that look like? How did you navigate possibly buying different size clothes or different size clothing or shopping in different places or whatever it looked like? How did it look like for you? And are there any tools that really stand out for you that helps you navigate that time? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think I felt like I shouldn't be uncomfortable in my body changing. And I think a big part of kind of dealing and coping with that was acknowledging like, it's okay to grieve your old body. You know, like we definitely live in a very fat phobic society. And so it's okay to feel like maybe when we see a thinner photo of ourselves, like, oh man, I kind of missed that. However, 
reminding yourself like, okay, what did I have to do to get there? And like, what was I sacrificing in those moments? And was it really worth it? And for me, really acknowledging, like you said, bodies are supposed to change. Like it's just inevitable that we're going to age. We're going to, you know, go up or down in weight. Like it's just, it's just going to happen, especially as women, especially if we decide that we want to be mothers, you know, our bodies are going to go through some changes. And so I really had to shift into more of a body neutrality kind of mindset of, practicing some acceptance that, you know, my body is what it is. It's okay. If there are things that I don't love about it, you know, I, I don't have to love my stretch marks. I don't have to love my cellulite. I don't have to love like my belly all the time. However, I have to show it with respect and I have to be kind and I have to be compassionate with it. And I have to accept it because this is the one body that I get in you know, at the end of the day, I treated it with shit for like 10 years and I was really mean to it and I starved it and I purged and I did all of these awful things to my body and it still showed up for me every day. And so having a lot of compassion towards my body and realizing, okay, if I have clothes that don't fit me, I got to get rid of them. There's no sense in keeping these skinny jeans or things that just no longer serve me. And knowing that if that means I need to go a size up, then that's fucking okay. Like no one's pulling on the back of your shorts to see what size you're wearing. And if they are, that's really fucking weird. And you probably shouldn't be, <laughs> be friends with those people anyway. Um, so, I mean, I just had to realize like no one really cares. Um, and to be honest, we are so like way more critical of ourselves than anyone else will ever be. I actually recently posted something about how I, in the past, I would have been triggered to post a video because I recently have gained weight. And, you know, during these couple tough years, you know, and being in a healthy, happy relationship, like sometimes our bodies change and that's okay that I have, you know, these little back rolls now. And I, posted about kind of the thought process of where maybe that that could have triggered me in the past and it was so funny all of the responses where I didn't even notice all I noticed was you and your boyfriend like just like dancing and loving on each other Mm -hmm. and and granted I would never notice that about anyone else either and so it's just so interesting to now be out of that and be like oh my god people really don't care and if they do care then that's just a really big sign that we shouldn't be spending time with those people but for me, like it, buy clothes that fit you. That was the biggest thing. Wear clothes that you like, that feel comfortable um, and get rid of things that no longer serve you and no longer fit you anymore. I mean, it's just, it's taunting every time you go into your closet and you're like, damn, I wish I could fit into that dress and you don't like get rid of it, sell it, donate it, whatever. Um, and buy something that's going to make you feel good and sexy and hot and all these things. And know that like body image is, is kind of an ebbing and flowing situation. And some days we have bad body days and that's okay. We're not like permanently stuck there though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, it's, it's, it can be really helpful to have a, an array of sizes in a closet without attaching to sizes for, uh, goals that are really unhealthy, but because our bodies change, you know, having sizes up, having maybe like a size down without again, like really checking in and doing the honest work around why we have the size down if it's there. Oh yeah. 
yeah, two pairs of shorts of the same or two different sizes, at, depending on where I am in my cycle, you know, like totally. I want to still be able to wear like jean shorts on my period, but yeah, I'm a little bit more bloated and my body may be. So I want to still feel comfortable. And for me, if I'm wearing something that's tight and constricting, that's going to draw a lot more attention to that area for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. Final question that I want to make sure this is just such a juicy conversation. I I'm not even taking notes. Oh, it's like, so great. No, in I my love mind, I'm like, <laughs> I want to ask her this. I want to ask her this. So going back to friendships and I think this might be a really beautiful way to close out this conversation, but for anybody who is listening to this and thinking like, shit, I know I need to make some changes and this is going to be really hard. And I know that the group that I'm hanging out with is possibly keeping me stuck in um, some of these eating disorder behaviors or disordered eating habits or just negative self-talk or whatnot and the need to find or the desire to find a new group. So without going into like in or uh, interview mode with new friends and things like that, what can you recommend people just look out for when they're navigating new friendships and really just shifting their social circles in in healthy, empowered, sustainable ways? Yeah. And I think too, it's important to know that like, Hey, if you do have some friends that like talk about their bodies or their diets, like it's okay to have a conversation with them. Like, I think a lot of the time we just don't, we don't know until someone tells us that like, Hey, this conversation is actually triggering or can we talk about something different? Like, you know, I think we have better things to talk about than your current diet or, you know, knowing that we don't completely have to cut and it's okay that not everybody's going to be on board with our, you know, body acceptance journey. However, you know, maybe keeping some distance, but I think, you know, in terms of finding new friendships, I think, you know, keeping an eye out for any red flags of like, okay, the, these first initial times of hanging out with these people, you know, are they talking poorly about other people? Are they talking poorly about other women? Are they talking about, you know, feeling guilty about that they had pizza last night and now they need to like work out. Like these are all things that for me would say like, "Mm, maybe this isn't the greatest group of people that I need to surround myself with because maybe they're a little too body focused. Maybe they're a little too stuck in diet culture. Um, and, and I think really just kind of expanding where you meet friends. I mean, for me, I think just as an adult woman, it's so hard to make friends. <laughs> it's sure. just like That's very, kind of why I asked like the question dating. too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really challenging yeah, it's like, for women, the older you get. It's so hard and it's so confusing and it's kind of like dating. And honestly, I've met a lot of great friends through Instagram and I think social media can be a great way to meet friends. I have some friends that I would con- consider one of my best friends that I met through Instagram Um, some people that I haven't even met. And so knowing that you can cultivate those safe spaces online, especially in the current world that we're at right now, and, you know, things are slowly starting to open back up and just know that there are groups of women, whether you decide to go to a a retreat or look for a workshop or any of these things, like there are women that are trying to find that same type of thing that you are. It just might take a little bit more uh, of digging to do so. Mm, love that and such a helpful tip and tool for everyone to use um so you're a recovery coach now can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and close with where everybody can find you 
Yeah. So I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I am underneath actually one of my best friends who I met through Instagram, uh, Jane, she is recovery loving care and she has a great, um, coaching curriculum that she trained me underneath. And I work with women on helping them find a healthy relationship with their body, food and movement. Um, and I work as collaborative care with registered dietitians and therapists. So kind of being that support team, um, for those that are maybe seeking some support with their recovery or have been in treatment that are needing help, kind of like acclimating back to normal life, um, struggle with body image. And so I love what I do. It's so, I mean, it's just so awesome how it's come full circle for me. Um, and I'm currently not taking any clients right now, um, but you can find me at fitfatandallthat.com. Um, and I'm thinking about um, my friend Jane and I coming out with like a body image course. Um, so stay tuned on that if you all are interested. Yes, please. All of the body image courses. I just don't think that we can get enough of no <laughs> you know the cool thing about this space too is i love everybody's different perspective on body image it's not yeah. a one size fits all there's not a streamlined formula with how to accept your body um there's a lot of tools and messages that overlap but everybody's own unique body experience yeah, I love brings it. so much perspective i just don't think that we can get enough voices in this space to lead the charge and just expand this, um, this movement. So I'm all for it. When you launch it, let us know. We'll be sure to let everybody know. That's amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, can't, can't wait. So we'll, we'll see. And this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we talked about so many wonderful little nuggets. I so appreciate it. You're awesome. I'm so excited to stay in touch and for everybody else to connect with you. So thank you, Julia. And thank you for your vulnerability and just the honesty that you shared today. It was amazing. Thank you so much. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Stephanie Olea, our show manager, Shayla Anderson, and our incredible guest, if you want to stay connected and learn more about our guests today, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon.